Chapter Fifteen, Part Two of A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett, read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in September two thousand and seven. Chapter Fifteen, Continued. Sarah sprang off the bed and put out the candle. She's scolding Becky. She whispered as she stood in the darkness. She's making her cry. Will she come in here? Ermengarde whispered back, panic-stricken. No, she will think I'm in bed. Don't stir. It was very seldom that Miss Minchin mounted the last flight of stairs. Sarah could only remember that she had done it once before, but now she was angry enough to be coming at least part of the way up, and it sounded as if she was driving Becky before her. "'You impudent, dishonest child!' they heard her say. "'Cook tells me she has missed things repeatedly.' "'Twarn't me, ma'am,' said Becky, sobbing. "'I was angry enough, but twarn't me, never!' "'You deserve to be sent to prison,' said Miss Minchin's voice, picking and stealing. Half a meat pie, indeed. Twarn't me, wept Becky. I could have ate a whole one, but I never laid a finger on it. Miss Minchin was out of breath between temper and mounting the stairs. The meat pie had been intended for her special late supper. It became apparent that she boxed Becky's ears. Don't tell falsehoods, she said. Go to your room this instant. Both Sarah and Ermengarde heard the slap, and then heard Becky run in her slipshod shoes up the stairs and into her attic. They heard her door shut and knew that she threw herself upon the bed. "'I could have ate two of them,' they heard her cry into a pillow, "'and I never took a bite. "'Twas cook give it to a policeman.' Sarah stood in the middle of the room in the darkness. She was clenching her little teeth and opening and shutting fiercely her outstretched hands. She could scarcely stand still, but she dared not move until Miss Minchin had gone down the stairs and all was still. "'The wicked cruel thing!' she burst forth. "'The cook takes things herself, and then says Becky steals them. She doesn't. She doesn't. She's so hungry sometimes that she eats crusts out of the ash-barrel.' She pressed her hands hard against her face, and burst into passionate little sobs, and Ermengarde, hearing this unusual thing, was overawed by it. Sarah was crying. The unconquerable Sarah! It seemed to denote something new, some mood she had never known. Suppose—suppose— suppose, a new dread possibility presented itself to her kind, slow little mind all at once. She crept off the bed in the dark and found her way to the table where the candle stood. She struck a match and lit the candle. When she had lighted it, she bent forward and looked at Sarah, with her new thought growing to definite fear in her eyes. "'Sarah,' she said in a timid, almost awe-stricken voice, "'Ah—ah—you—you uh, never told me. I don't want to be rude, but—' "'Are you ever hungry?' It was too much, just at that moment. The barrier broke down. Sarah lifted her face from her hands. "'Yes,' she said, in a new, passionate way. "'Yes, I am. I'm so hungry now that I could almost eat you. And it makes it worse to hear poor Becky. She's hungrier than I am.' Ermengarde gasped. "'Oh! Oh!' she cried woefully. "'And I never knew!' "'I didn't want you to know,' Sarah said. "'It would have made me feel like a street-beggar. "'I know I looked like a street-beggar.' "'No, you don't, you don't!' Ermengarde broke in. "'Your clothes are a little queer, but you couldn't look like a street-beggar. "'You haven't a street-beggar face.' "'A little boy once gave me a sixpence for charity,' said Sarah, with a short little laugh in spite of herself. "'Here it is,' and she pulled out the thin ribbon from her neck. "'He wouldn't have given me his Christmas sixpence if I hadn't looked as if I needed it.' Somehow the sight of the dear little sixpence was good for both of them. It made them laugh a little, though they both had tears in their eyes. "'Who was he?' asked Ermengarde, looking at it, 
quite as if it had not been a mere ordinary silver sixpence. "'He was a darling little thing going to a party,' said Sarah. "'He was one of the large family, the little one with the round legs, the one I call Guy Clarence. I suppose his nursery was crammed with Christmas presents and hampers full of cakes and things, and he could see I had nothing.' Ermengarde gave a little jump backward. The last sentences had recalled something to her troubled mind, and given her a sudden inspiration. "'Oh, Sarah!' she cried. "'What a silly thing I am not to have thought of it!' "'Of what?' "'Something splendid!' said Ermengarde, in an excited hurry. "'This very afternoon my nicest aunt sent me a box. It is full of good things. I never touched it, I had so much pudding at dinner, and I was so bothered about Papa's books.' Her words began to tumble over each other. "'It's got cake in it, and little meat pies, and jam tarts, and buns, and oranges, and red currant wine, and figs, and chocolate. I'll creep back to my room and get it this minute, and we'll eat it now.' Sarah almost reeled. When one is faint with hunger, the mention of food has sometimes a curious effect. She clutched Ermengarde's arm. "'Do you think you could?' she ejaculated. "'I know I could,' answered Ermengarde, and she ran to the door, opened it softly, put her head out into the darkness, and listened. Then she went back to Sarah. "'The lights are out. Everybody's in bed. I can creep and creep, and no one will hear.' It was so delightful that they caught each other's hands, and a sudden light sprang into Sarah's eyes. "'Ermie,' she said, "'let us pretend.' Let us pretend it's a party, and, oh, won't you invite the prisoner in the next cell? Yes, yes, let us knock on the wall now. The jailer won't hear." Sarah went to the wall. Through it she could hear poor Becky crying more softly. She knocked four times. "'That means, come to me through the secret passage under the wall,' she explained. "'I have something to communicate.' Five quick knocks answered her. "'She's coming,' she said. Almost immediately the door of the attic opened, and Becky appeared. Her eyes were red, and her cap was sliding off, and when she caught sight of Ermengarde she began to rub her face nervously with her apron. "'Don't mind me a bit, Becky,' cried Ermengarde. "'Miss Ermengarde has asked you to come in,' said Sarah, "'because she's going to bring a box of good things up here to us.' Becky's cap almost fell off entirely. She broke in with such excitement. "'To eat, miss,' she said. "'Things that's good to eat.' "'Yes,' answered Sarah, "'and we are going to pretend a party.' "'And you shall have as much as you want to eat,' put in Ermengarde. "'I'll go this minute.' She was in such haste that as she tiptoed out of the attic she dropped her red shawl and did not know it had fallen. No one saw it for a minute or so. Becky was too much overpowered by the good luck which had befallen her. "'Oh, miss! Oh, miss!' she gasped. "'I know it was you that asked her to let me come. It, it makes me cry to think of it.' And she went to Sarah's side and stood and looked at her worshippingly. But in Sarah's hungry eyes the old light had begun to glow and transform her world for her. Here in the attic, with the cold night outside, with the afternoon in the sloppy streets barely past, with the memory of the awful unfed look in the beggar child's eyes not yet faded, this simple, cheerful thing had happened like a thing of magic. She caught her breath. "'Somehow something always happens,' she cried, just before things get to the very worst. It is as if the magic did it. If I could only just remember that always, the worst thing never quite comes.' She gave Becky a little cheerful shake. "'No, no, you mustn't cry,' she said. "'We must make haste and set the table.' "'Set the table, miss,' said Becky, gazing round the room. "'What we set it with?' Sarah looked round the attic, too. "'There doesn't seem to be much,' she answered half-laughingly. That moment she saw something and pounced upon it. It was Ermengarde's red shawl which lay upon the floor. "'Here's the shawl,' she cried. "'I know she won't mind it. It will make such a nice red tablecloth.' They pulled the old table forward, and threw the shawl over it. Red is a wonderfully kind and comfortable colour. It began to make the room look furnished directly. 
"'How nice a red rug would look on the floor!' exclaimed Sarah. "'We must pretend there is one.' Her eyes swept the bare boards with a swift glance of admiration. The rug was laid down already. "'How soft and thick it is!' she said, with the little laugh which Becky knew the meaning of. And she raised and set her foot down again delicately, as if she felt something under it. "'Yes, miss,' answered Becky, watching her with serious rapture. She was always quite serious. "'What next now?' said Sarah and she stood still and put her hands over her eyes. "'Something will come if I think and wait a little,' in a soft, expectant voice. "'The magic will tell me.' One of her favourite fancies was that, on the outside, as she called it, thoughts were waiting for people to call them. Becky had seen her stand and wait many a time before, and knew that in a few seconds she would uncover an enlightened, laughing face. In a moment she did. "'There!' she cried. "'It has come. I know now. I must look among the things in the old trunk I had when I was a princess.' She flew to its corner and kneeled down. It had not been put in the attic for her benefit, but because there was no room for it elsewhere. Nothing had been left in it but rubbish, but she knew she should find something. The magic always arranged that kind of thing in one way or another. In a corner lay a package so insignificant-looking that it had been overlooked, and when she herself had found it, she had kept it as a relic. It contained a dozen small white handkerchiefs. She seized them joyfully and ran to the table. She began to arrange them upon the red table-cover, patting and coaxing them into shape, with the narrow lace edge curling outward, her magic working its spells for her as she did it. "'These are the plates,' she said. "'They're golden plates. These are the richly embroidered napkins. Nuns worked them in convents in Spain.' "'Did they, miss?' breathed Becky, her very soul uplifted by the information. "'You must pretend it,' said Sarah. "'If you pretend it enough, you will see them.' "'Yes, miss.' said Becky, and as Sarah returned to the trunk she devoted herself to the effort of accomplishing an end so much to be desired. Sarah turned suddenly to find her standing by the table, looking very queer indeed. She had shut her eyes, and was twisting her face in strange, convulsive contortions, her hands hanging stiffly clenched at her sides. She looked as if she was trying to lift some enormous weight. "'What is the matter, Becky?' Sarah cried. "'What are you doing?' Becky opened her eyes with a start. "'I was a—' "'Pretending, miss,' she answered, a little sheepishly. "'I was trying to see it like you do. I almost did,' with a hopeful grin. "'But it takes a lot of strength.' "'Perhaps it does, if you're not used to it,' said Sarah, with friendly sympathy. "'But you don't know how easy it is when you've done it often. I wouldn't try so hard just at first. It will come to you after a while. I'll just tell you what things are. Look at these.' She held an old summer hat in her hand, which she had fished out of the bottom of the trunk. There was a wreath of flowers on it. She pulled the wreath off. "'These are garlands for the feast,' she said grandly. "'They fill all the air with perfume. There's a mug on the washstand, Becky. Oh, and bring the soap-dish for a centrepiece.' Becky handed them to her reverently. "'What are they now, miss?' she inquired. "'You'd think they was made of crockery, but I know they ain't.' "'This is a carven flagon,' said Sarah, arranging tendrils of the wreath about the mug. "'And this—' bending tenderly over the soap-dish, and heaping it with roses, is purest alabaster encrusted with gems. She touched the things gently, a happy smile hovering about her lips, which made her look as if she were a creature in a dream. "'My! Ain't it lovely?' whispered Becky. "'If we just had something for bonbon dishes,' Sarah murmured. "'There!' darting to the trunk again. "'I remember I saw something this minute.' It was only a bundle of wool wrapped in red and white tissue-paper, but the tissue-paper was soon twisted into the form of little dishes, and was combined with the remaining flowers to ornament the candlestick which was to light the feast. 
Only the magic could have made it more than an old table covered with a red shawl and set with rubbish from a long unopened trunk. But Sarah drew back and gazed at it, seeing wonders, and Becky, after staring in delight, spoke with bated breath. "'This year,' she suggested, with a glance round the attic, "'is it the Bastille now, or has it turned into something different?' "'Oh, yes, yes,' said Sarah, "'quite different. It is a banquet-hall.' "'My eye, miss,' ejaculated Becky, "'a blanket-hall!' And she turned to view the splendours about her with awed bewilderment. "'A banquet-hall,' said Sarah. "'A vast chamber where feasts are given. It has a vaulted roof, and a minstrel's gallery, and a huge chimney filled with blazing oaken logs, and it is brilliant with waxen tapers twinkling on every side.' "'My eye, Miss Sarah!' gasped Becky again. Then the door opened, and Ermengarde came in, rather staggering under the weight of her hamper. She started back with an exclamation of joy. To enter from the chill darkness outside, and find oneself confronted by a totally unanticipated festal board, draped with red, adorned with white napery, and wreathed with flowers, was to feel that the preparations were brilliant indeed. "'Oh, Sarah!' she cried out. "'You're the cleverest girl I ever saw!' "'Isn't it nice?' said Sarah. "'They're things out of my old trunk.' I asked my magic, and it told me to go and look. "'But, oh, miss!' cried Becky. "'Wait till she's told you what they are. They ain't just—' "'Oh, miss, please tell her!' appealing to Sarah. So Sarah told her, and because her magic helped her, she made her almost see it all. The golden platters, the vaulted spaces, the blazing logs, the twinkling waxen tapers. As things were taken out of the hamper—the frosted cakes, the fruits, the bonbons and the wine—the feast became a splendid thing. End of chapter 15, part 2